Isaiah chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy, well, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God the Father. We're drawing from that scripture our theme for the rest of this month, and that is looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. And that's what we want to do in, our, in all of our services, our Sunday school, Sunday morning, in our Wednesday night services. And I want to say to those that are tuning in live stream to please tune in on Wednesday night when we talk about the significance of the swaddling clothes. I think it'll be an interesting study for you. But I want to look in Isaiah 9 this morning. And I want to read one verse of Scripture, prophetically speaking of the birth of Christ. The Bible says, For unto you, or excuse me, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so on our Sunday mornings, this is the verse we're going to be concentrating on and looking at what was promised us prophetically uh, is God the Holy Spirit moved upon Isaiah to write these words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Father, help us now, I pray, in these moments we spend. We thank you for your love for us, and thank you for the way that you've blessed and worked. I pray that you will do in our midst, dear God, what only you can do, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for all of it. In Jesus' holy name, I pray these things. Amen. I think it would be probably somewhat of an understatement if I were to say that you and I live in a day of distractions. I think that is especially so, is it not, in the year 2020. What a year of unbelievable distractions, so much more so this year. We've had pandemics and elections and we've been quarantined and Many of us have faced COVID, and others are trying not to face it, and we've become familiar with the gentle aroma of carbon dioxide and speaking through face masks and all sorts of other ways that, that we've had to deal with things. We've stood in line for essentials while learning at the same time church was not considered essential, and we've done it all from six feet away. If you listen closely to so many of the health officials that, 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 that are talking to us, I think they've demonstrated that it's very hard to predict something that's unpredictable, which is what a virus so often is. And then, if you're blessed enough to be on social media, there are 10 million experts. And that's an understatement in and of itself. At least 10 million experts who know everything there is to know about everything, and they all have a theory to back everything up. So we find ourselves in the middle of very muddy waters and an extremely turbulent sea. 
It's where we are today. Like Peter, surrounded by a raging storm, I think it's hard sometimes to keep our eyes on him. Things are so messed up. And we're, we're fretting over the political arena and we're fretting over the social arena and, and health. And it seems like there's a new warning issued every single day. Not every month, not every week, every day, and sometimes multiple times a day. So in the midst of all of that, sometimes we can lose our focus. And, and when we do, we suffer the same sinking panic feeling that Peter did when he began to feel the water up around his knees and his hips. The very water that just a few moments earlier he had been walking upon. Now it threatens his life there in the waters of Galilee. So what do we do? What do we do as Christian people? How, how do we face this? Well, we can get all bent out of shape. We can reach out and slap someone. We can do it verbally or physically or we can be divisive or we can, we, can, we can come up with creative ways. I was thinking of a t-shirt the other day that might sell well. It says this, if I had a face like that, I'd cover it with a mask also. No? Anyhow, I'm just, I mean, you, you can assume that everybody's having as bad a day as you are. Or as horrible a week as you are. Or, or you can not even look people in the eye. Just look down at the ground, lean slightly forward, and walk in a beeline. Have you ever noticed these days that people don't look you in the eye? And You can be on the green belt and the sun is shining and three birds are singing nearby. And you can say hi and people don't even answer you anymore. I feel like I'm on the New Jersey Turnpike. It's the day and age in which we live. But seriously, what do we do as a Christian? How do we face that? How do we deal with the day and age in which we live in a world of utter chaos? I think what we have to do is we have to look to Him. Now, I want you to hear me well. So listen to me. If you want to settle down for a good dose of depression and discouragement and disillusionment, Watch all the news you can watch. Stay on the internet as much as you can stay on it. And immerse yourself by all means in every conspiracy theory you can find. And then call your doctor and ask for medicine for anti-anxiety. Because the reality of the matter is when you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to sink like Peter did. And so in this world around us, I think it's important, and I think it's special that, that, that you and I take the time to l- looking unto Jesus, that we live out that theme and that we, we focus upon Him. We're going to do that from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 every Sunday morning. I want you to read the verse with me again, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I, know, I want you to notice, first of all, that a child is born. Have you ever heard the statement, I heard it just the other day, that a baby changes everything? Doesn't it? Is that true? It is true. A baby changes everything. 
You can be rocking along and going full speed ahead and everything's normal, but when a child enters into your life, it changes your life so totally and so completely that it's not an understatement to say a baby changes everything. And it says here unto us a child is born. How many times in the history of mankind, and I've immersed so much of my life in history, a child has been born and changed the, the fortunes and the, the, the family into which he was born. A family hidden in the shadows of absolute obscurity. Their life mundane, wrapped in the everyday world of just getting by and going through the cycle of life. Day to day, meal to meal, their name etched on nothing except perhaps family Bibles and postal deliveries. No one else ever reads their name. No one knows who they are except maybe their nearest neighbor, and they're many, many miles away. But then a child is born into that home, and because of some inherent powers of intelligence. As he grows, he begins to manifest uh, uh, such, such influence, even amongst his early peers in life, and, and he distances himself from them in his intelligence. And he passes from a run-of-the-mill existence into what, what he seems to have been born for. I read a statement one time that I found true historically, and that is that some men are born for greatness, others have it thrust upon them. And whether he was born for this particular niche in which he found in life, or whether he was, was it would seem to have been thrust upon him at the time in which he lived, somehow, some way, he finds that greatness. And as time goes on, Like a golden tide, it finds its way increasingly to the family in the old home. And each member of that family will reap the benefits of the fact that they are associated with this child that was born. And the name, no longer in obscurity, now is upon the lips of so many people. It brings instant recognition. You don't even need their first name, just Washington. Just Jefferson, just Roosevelt, Lee, Edison, men who because of their singular impact on the world around them drew their name out of the dirt and mud of nothingness and placed it in the hearts of so many, many people. Some children have been born and they don't just lift a family name, they lift a nation. The Jews in Egypt, groaning in their brick kilns, suffering under the agony and torment of of the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, they were given Moses, a child born and hid in the bulrushes, and yet... He leads that nation from the house of bondage. England, 
travailing under the, the cruel hand of the Danes were delivered by Alfred the Great. The Netherlands uh, delivered by William the Silent who rose and broke the bloodthirsty uh, rule of Alva. Italy was rescued by Victor Emmanuel and Garibaldi who overthrew the dark misrule of, of, of the papacy. And so there have been babies born, unto us a child is born. And sometimes the child delivers a family, and sometimes the child delivers a nation, but not this child. Not the one to whom Isaiah prophesied, this child that was born came as the deliverer of the entire world. Not just during his time, but all past, all present, and all that ever would be. That child was born to deliver the entire world. Yale historian Jaroslav Pelikan said this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has dominated, has been the dominant figure in history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? H.G. Wells wrote these words, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of the history of mankind. The child that was born. Notice not only the child born, but notice the son given. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now the wording is divinely inspired here. Because the child was born, and yet we realize as we read further that the child was a gift. It's not just that there's this random birth of this random child who does random acts of kindness and randomly impacts the world. No, the child was a gift, and a gift from God. He was a son given. For God so loved the world that he gave. What was the manifest evidence of the love of a God who created this world? What was that manifestation? God gave his son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he was, he was God's gift to this world. Now he came as the son of man. I think that's very important. Oftentimes in the Scripture, he's called the Son of Man because of the fact that he clothed himself in human flesh. God descended the stairway of heaven and clothed himself in, in, in human flesh. He became a man. He was made in the likeness of men, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He came to earth to identify with us, to know what hunger was, to know what it was to have no place to lay his head. He was homeless. He had no place 
that he called my home once he departed from Capernaum. Jesus Christ identified with man in every walk of life. He was tempted, yet without sin. You see. And so here is the Savior. Here is the, here is the child born. He's become the son given. He is the gift given. And yet he is, he is the son of man. He came, he came to walk amongst us. He is a high priest, not one that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he was, like us, tempted in all points. Forty days and forty nights, not three times. Not three times. Those are the three areas in which he was tempted. He was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. Not just thrice. 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted in these three areas. And so it's significant that he comes to identify himself with us there in Bethlehem's manger. Drawing nourishment from his mother's bosom playing on the hillsides of Nazareth. I remember the first time I rode by Nazareth, and, 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 we, and we went to that city as we, as we approached it. I see those rolling hills, and I thought to myself, God in human flesh ran these hills as a boy. What an amazing thought that God would do that. And then as he began to reach up into his teen years, and even probably before that, he immersed his hands in wood. Can you imagine the hands of God calloused? And yet his heart so incredibly tender. Let me give you a verse of Scripture that you nor I can wrap our minds around totally. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Where the Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. That's a bigger thought than I think any of us can fully comprehend. Here is God subjecting himself to the very laws that he created. It's God feeling cold. It's God feeling heat. It's God living a life in this earth, confined in the body of flesh. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He submitted himself to the life that you and I must live. And yet, though he were the son of man, at the same time he was the son of God. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to us. He came to be our Savior. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He wasn't just the Son of Man, He was the Son of God. Mark three eleven, and unclean spirits. Now listen to what the devils say. Listen, and unclean spirits. Listen to the voice of the demons. And unclean spirits, when they saw Him, fell down before Him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Isn't it amazing to you that demons have more sense than so many people do? Demons have got more intelligence than the media does today. The brilliant, the brilliant minds, the Christopher Hitchens, and the men who deny the very existence of God, 
demons have more intelligence than they do. Thou art the Son of God, they cry. Mark fifteen thirty nine. And when the centurion, here's a lost Roman soldier, when the centurion, <clears throat> which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said this, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Luke one thirty five. And the angel answered and said unto her, This is to Mary. She said, How can I have a child? seeing that I know no man. And he said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. A child born does not bother the world. That does not bother the world. A child born. They love Bethlehem. They don't mind the manger. They're not, they're not bothered by the songs of the babe and the sweetness of the animals just gently watching such an incredible event. What bothers them is when we confess that a son was given. They can deal with the child... But when you begin to confess and profess that Jesus is the Son of God, they refuse Him to, to accept Him as the Son who was given. They doubt His Sonship. Well, where does that doubt come from? Listen to this. In the wilderness, when He was tempted of Satan, what did Satan say? Matthew 4, 3, when the tempter came to Him, He said, If thou be, doubt. If thou be, if thou be the Son of God, he said, then command that these stones be made bread. Do something spectacular. Put on a show. Give me a sign. Show me something that will make my hair stand on end. Just show me something that, that impresses me. If thou be the Son of God. And so the doubt comes from Satan, the very one that brought question marks in the beginning in the Garden of Eden when he said, Hath God said? Truly, Eve, hath God said? Just take of the fruit. Don't worry about what God's saying. God's just trying to keep you from things you'll enjoy. Hath God really said that? Is that what really what God meant? If thou be the Son of God, are you really Him? Could you show us? So the doubt is there. So a child is born... And a son is given. He's a gift. But if you're giving a gift, who is the gift for? Who, who, who is the gift for? Well, notice the words, twice given unto us. But don't you miss that, because I, if there's anything in this scripture that is pertinent, it's the fact that we rec recognize why. A child was born. And why a son was given, it's unto us. He came to be our Savior. C.S. Lewis said this, and, and he does, when he says this, he, he's reminding us of the purpose and the power of the incarnation. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become, become the sons of God. The Son of God became a man to enable us to become the sons of God. That's the reason behind all of it. And 
in John 4 verse 14, 1 John 4 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you opened your gift? Have you received your gift? You may be listening today somehow over YouTube or live streaming. It's not that just it's not just that he is a savior or that he is he is the savior of the world. The question becomes is he yours and mine? Is he personal to you? We talk about accepting Christ as our personal savior. And so the question must be asked, is he indeed personal? Do, listen, the, the child born, the son given, do you have that one-on-one relationship with him? I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist or you're a member of this church. I'm not asking you, uh, have you been baptized? I'm asking you, do you know Christ as your Savior? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's what the scripture says. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he hath saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So he's the gift, and the gift has to be received. We have to open our hearts and begin that one-on-one relationship with Christ. He's God's gift to us. And by the way, every good thing we have in life comes from Him. That's what the Bible says. Every good gift coming from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Listen to this verse, Romans eight thirty-two: He that spared not His own Son, but freely gave, uh, delivered Him up, for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Let me read it again. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If you know the son, you've got access. If you know the son... You can get in on some things that strangers cannot because the Son is your ticket in. If God would give you His Son, why would He withhold anything from you? And I can do all things how? Through Christ. And my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So everything I need, all of my strength can come through Him. All of my needs are supplied by Him. And so it is my connection with Christ that opens up the treasure house of heaven. I'm talking about a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm talking about the fact that we have access to the Father. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? That we may find mercy and help in time of need. How do I come boldly in Jesus' name? I just come in Jesus' name. And that gives access. To everything the Father has. For me. So. There's a child born. There's a son given. And the great thing is it's all personal. It's not just to make a mark in a history book. 
the child born and the son given is for us, you, me. And again, I'll say it, at the age of 12, I received that gift of eternal life. And then last of all, I want to talk about the government that, that is his. Because I think it's significant. God gives us a gift. It's, it's unto us the child comes, unto us the gift is given, the son is born. It's all personal, and God has given him government that he puts upon his shoulder. Now, it's significant, the shoulder, because you can grab something and drag it around like this all day long, but there's a weakness in your arm. But there's a strength in the shoulder. When you shoulder the burden, when we do Spartan races, there's a 60-pound bag of sand that we carry, and the way to carry it is on your shoulder. You go through the, you go through the obstacle you put the sandbag on your shoulder. Why? Because it bears the weight better than, than just the hand. So the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to shoulder the authority of the government that God has granted unto him. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, when Jesus was here, he evidenced authority. Now, I don't normally read long quotes, but I want you to listen to this. This was given by an old preacher who I, I've loved and admired over the years. His name is DeWitt Talmadge. I want, you, I want you to listen to what he says. This is so powerful. He said, over the forces of nature, God granted him government. The sea is a crystal sepulcher. It swallowed the Spanish Armada as easily as any fly that ever floated on it. Galilee, when aroused in a storm, is overwhelming, and yet that sea crouched in his presence and licked his feet. He knew all the waves and the wind. When he beckoned, they came. When he frowned, they fled. The heel of his foot made no indentation on the solidified water. He said, once a limb is Dead, it is dead, but here is a paralytic, his hand lifeless. Jesus says, stretch forth thy hand, and he stretches it forth. Jesus says to the blind, be open, and the light of heaven rushes through the gates that have never before been opened. The frost or an axe may kill a tree, but Jesus smites it with a singular word. What human voice could command a school of fish, yet here is a voice that marshals the scaly tribes until in the place where they had been let down the net and pulled it up with no fish in it, they let it down again, and the disciples lay hold and begin to pull, when by reason of the multitude of fish the net break. And behold his victory over the grave. Here comes the conqueror of death. He enters that realm and says, Daughter of Jairus, sit up. And she sat up. To Lazarus he says, Come forth, and he came forth. To the widow's son he said, Get up, and he goes home with his mother. Jesus snatched up the keys of death and hung them on his side and cried until all the graveyards of the earth heard him, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then he says this, But Christ's victories have only begun. The world is his, and he must have it. I'm going to tell you, dear friend, when Jesus walked this world, every command he gave, every command he gave, the elements obeyed. Even against the natural laws of what was then science and medicine, 
he overcame. One time he spit on the ground, reached down and made spittle out with the clay, put it in a man's eyes and said, go and wash and you'll see. And he did. The simplicity of the government of Jesus Christ when he was on this earth. How powerful. And yet we know that there will be a day, Scott, when there's going to be a, another government. He's coming back. And at the Battle of Armageddon, I've stood on the precipice of Megiddo and looked out across that open field, 187 miles from one end to the other, of which Napoleon stood one day and said, this is the most strategic, strategic battlefield in the world. He's coming there, and he will defeat the armies of the, uh, of the world, and the blood will flow five and a half feet deep. In the valley of Megiddo. And he'll set up a thousand year millennial reign. Over which no man will rebel. Jesus and his word will be law. But there's something more than that. It's not just the authority and the government that Christ had on earth. While he was here commanding fish to go. Commanding eyes to see, commanding deaf to speak, commanding dead to get up, commanding leprosy to be cleansed. It's not just his power over those things, and it's not just the future kingdom that we'll see one day. It's now. The reality of the matter is this. Listen carefully, and I'm going to close. But please don't miss this. And the government shall... Who was he given to? You and me. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Whose government? Ours. So here's the reality. Jesus is more interested in, in you than he is Washington, D.C. Or London, England. Or Paris, France. Or wherever else in the world men have their headquarters. Jesus wants the throne of your heart more than he wants the Oval Office or Buckingham Palace. See, the government that Jesus wants to establish is, is the government of Dean. The, gover the government of Chip and Ron and Luke and Steve and Al, God's government. Is within us. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, the Bible says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of God is within you. You know the kingdom that he wants to government? You know where he wants to set his government up? Down deep inside who you are. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He wants to govern the deepest part of who we are. Listen. He wants to be your Savior, but He desires to be your Lord. He came to save you, but He wants to guide you. He wants not just to be your Savior, He wants to be your Lord. Isn't that what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is all about? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge who? Him. Why? Because He's the government. And what will he do if I acknowledge him? He shall direct 
thy paths. Now let me say this. When we govern ourselves, we get locked into the self-life. And can I promise you this? That's a dead end. Anytime man decides he's going to govern his own life, he takes the throne, Christ steps aside, and that man becomes his own God. That always ends up on a dead-end street. Can I just ask you a simple question today? Have you handed him control? See, here's the great thing about God. In spite of what people may tell you, he's, he's not obnoxious, he, he's, he's not abrasive, and he doesn't kick your door in. He's a still, small voice. I heard a guy say years ago, and I read the Bible, and I found it to be true, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force his will on people. He doesn't force his way into people's lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I'll come in and sup with him, fellowship, and him with me. I'm knocking. Will you invite me? If you will. If you will. I'll fellowship with you. Have you have you given him the invitation truly to be the Lord of your life? A, a child is born, a son is given, and a government is owned. I pray that you and I will open our hearts to him differently this year than we ever have before. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? I want you to be honest with yourself for just a few moments here. And, and, and think about this question. How, how have you handled this year? Just be honest. How, how have you handled this year? Preacher, I think compared to the way things are in this world, I think I've handled it pretty good. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking that. I'm asking you how have you handled this year? Not compared to anyone or anything. How have you handled this year? You closer to God or further away? Have you honored Jesus? This is Christmas. The son was given to you. The child was born to lift you out of your nothingness. First of all, do you know him today as your Savior? Second of all, have you honored him by making him Lord of your life? If you're here today and you say, Preacher, if I died today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Would you lift your hand and just say, Preacher, would you pray for me? If I were to die today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven when I die. Anybody like that? Pray for me that I'll get my salvation settled. Anyone like that at all? Okay. What about Lord? What about His Lordship? Is His government in your life? Does He guide you? 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift, the beauty of the child in that manger. God, we realize that that's just, Lord, your entrance to deliver us from who we were and to help us become who you want us to be. I pray that you'll bless that our hearts and our minds would not be distracted by everything that goes around us, Lord, please. God, help us to look to you. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.